0: Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. We've been in a sermon series for the last couple of weeks in Acts and going through uh, what is the early church look like and the whole entire book of Acts has the foundation in one verse and that verse is found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and it says this, it says but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria until the ends of the earth. This is the whole point in Acts, is to set up the church to be witnesses about Jesus Christ absolutely everywhere. And so uh, I didn't plan this, but uh, this is exactly where we fell. What Virginia read in Acts chapter 3 during worship is uh, the whole portion we're covering. And so you can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We're not going to read that again. Um, But man, talk about the resurrection and this is exactly where it leads to this point. And so would you pray with me? God, as we dive into your word, Lord, the first thing that I want to ask is that you would open up our hearts. That God, we could see something in scripture that we haven't seen before. We can experience something in scripture that we've never experienced before, but As we walk out these doors, Lord, we ask that we would be changed, that we would be one step closer to you, or that, um, Lord, you would show us where we are at and where we need to change to align with you. So, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us. In your holy name we pray, amen. I don't know if you knew this, but um, after high school, I became a really cool person. Um, I, uh, I, my senior year, I decided to buy this car that made me cool. Um, it was a four-door Pontiac Grand Am with a 4.0 like a souped up motor. They called it the high performance motor, right? And so uh within the first couple of weeks that I had it, I got in an accident. And so uh and so that insurance money helped me pay for these like wheel covers and these spinner thingies on my wheels and tinted windows and pinstripes. Yeah, I maybe, I found a cheap guy. Um, so anyway, maybe the, the stuff that they did on it was not the greatest. But anyway, so I was rolling around in this uh, Pontiac Grand Am. And then I became even cooler when I bought two 12-inch JBL speakers with a 1500-watt Boston Acoustic Amp, right? Like, I don't know why I remember all those things. That's just kind of the guy I am. And so if you grew up in Billings, there was one main drag, right? And it's called 24th Street. Nobody wants to be caught on 24th Street. Now it's just horrible. You spend hours on that street. But anyway, so one night, um, I usually wasn't on that street because I, I just, I wasn't, I didn't do the drag thingy, right? And so... Uh, so I find myself, after getting off of work at the Bible bookstore, um, I pull up on, just, I, that makes me really super cool. Uh, as the best sales, Bible salesman, two years in a row. Anyway, so we were going and I'm, I'm driving down the street and we're stopped at this light, right? And so all of a sudden, this car, I look over next to me and they rev their engines, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, I got this, right? I'm in a Grand Am. And so I just kind of like, I am like, like, okay, let's do this, and so uh, I, of course, I've never done this before, so I don't know how to do this. I put my foot on the brake, and then, you know, rev the gas, and the light turns green, and I peeled out loud enough that it, I mean, it, it hurt, in a Grand Am, front wheel drive, who would have known? Anyway, so I was peeling off, I didn't get 100 feet, and I all of a sudden heard the woo, whoo, woo. I pulled over on the left-hand side. Now, the great thing about being in a Pontiac Grand Am with tinted windows is nobody can see inside. Nobody can see who you are. You can become completely anonymous, right? You, I, who knows? It could have been a girl driving it. It was me. So, um, but uh, I pull over, and what do you have to do when you get pulled over? You have to roll down the window. And so uh, if you're like any American in this world, uh, every single car did the slow roll, right? Like, and stared. And some people shamed, right? Some people laughed at you. <laughs> okay, me. Some people laughed at me. There was the old lady that did this thing. And I was like, like, you haven't been pulled over before, right? And so, uh, and so I, uh, I got through that whole incident. And then the next day, I was late to work. And so I started speeding to work, and I got pulled over again. The very next day, the exact same thing happens. And everybody came running, right? Came looking at this. Who is this guy? And you still feel it, right? Like everybody wants to. It's the same thing in Glasgow. All of a sudden we hear a fire truck going, what happens? People are like, whose house is burning down? Let's go watch it, right? Or, hey, who got pulled over this time? Because we very rarely get pulled over in Glasgow. Or what's going on? So we do these things. And this is exactly what's happening in this piece of scripture, we see that in uh, the first part of chapter three, this beggar who's been sitting out in the front of this temple for years, he's 40 years old and he's completely lame and he can't walk and he's been sitting there and everybody for the longest time has just been walking by him, not paying attention to him. They do, instead of doing the, oh, we'll look to see who it is, they do the, let's walk by fast so we don't have to pay him anything, right? We, and so what happens is all of a sudden he gets healed gets healed, and he starts running around with Peter and John. And wouldn't you know that everybody around came looking. What's going on? What's happening? And so can you imagine this whole entire temple system, right? We already know that Peter and James, uh, Peter and John went out to this big part of the temple in the court, Solomon's court, and they're hanging out there, and everybody comes piling out of there and goes, I want to see what's happening. And Peter, the smart guy, he says, he thinks to himself, I'm not wasting an opportunity. Not wasting an opportunity, so I'm going to tell them exactly what's happening. But I want to tell you something, that Jesus in his ministry was healing people all over the place. It was the power of the Holy Spirit through him. And as Peter and John were healing people, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that came through Jesus' death for them. But I find this reaction of the people not so different than in Jesus' days because Jesus yells at them in, uh, in chapter, or John chapter 6. He goes, you keep following me for what I can do for you. You keep trying to figure out who I am so that I can give you something. In Isaiah 53.3, it says, you follow me for miracles, for fame, for, fame, for power, and for comfort. But I'm just going to let you know that you'll despise me and you'll, be, and you'll reject me later. And you'll hide your face from me. People came flocking to see this miracle. It's not so much different today because you come flocking to church on Easter because this is true. The resurrection happened. And so Peter takes the opportunity to share the gospel to them once again. He did it in chapter two, and it was bold, and it was amazing. And in this one, he sits down and goes, "Let me really tell you what's going on here." You keep on asking who has the power to heal, and I'll tell you who has the power to heal. But I want to te- who has the power to heal. But I want to teach you really who this Jesus is. And so right away, he tells them in verse 13, 14, and 15. So if you're taking notes with me and you love to doodle, why don't you pull out your notes? And we're going to go through the three things that he teaches them that Jesus is. And the first one is this, is that he tells them that the Jesus is the suffering servant. Suffering servant. Oh, my goodness. Servant. There you go. Wow. Okay. Verse 13, it goes on and says, For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all your ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant, Jesus, by doing this. Jesus has been whipped. He's been rejected. He's been handed over. He's been despised. He's had people leaving him. He's been oppressed. He's been unjustly condemned. He's been struck down, and he was buried like a criminal. This is everything that you find in Isaiah 53. And so the first thing that he wants to tell them is this Jesus guy, the one who's giving us the power to heal because of his resurrection. He's first God's servant. And the second thing, the second title that he gives Jesus as he says, he's the holy and righteous one. He's the holy and righteous one. In one single statement, Peter says that he is God because only one is holy. And second, he lived a completely blameless, sinless life. He was perfect and he was God himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As soon as Peter would have told these people, this is the holy and righteous one, they get it. They've been in a sacrificial system for many, many years. They've been slaughtering animals for the covering of their sins. And as soon as he says, he is the one that was supposed to come like Isaiah, the suffering servant. And he was God himself, the righteous one. The crowd begins to understand. Jesus is the perfect lamb for us. Maybe they don't want to uh, respond to it, but this is exactly what he's saying. And the third title that he gives, Jesus, and probably the one that I love the most, especially today, is that. He gives him the title, the author of life. You could also put in parentheses if you want to, the prince of life. There's this word in uh, the Greek language that really talks about it being the origin of life. Or uh, another way to look at that is if this hero was to come into a city and set up and take it over and set it up, they would say that that person is the originator of this city. They are the hero of the city. And this is exactly what he's saying is Jesus is the hero of life itself. A couple weeks back, we talked about the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, but the Holy Spirit all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 being the breath of life. The breath of life comes out of the mouth of Jesus. You see, the, the idea is, is when Jesus is dead and buried, he himself has the ability to bring life. That's why he says in John 3, 16, whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so he goes on and he tells them, hey, if that's the case, if he is The suffering servant, if he is the holy and righteous one, if God is, or if Jesus is the author of life, then here's the deal. In verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. Faith in Jesus' name is what brings healing. It is by faith in Jesus that gave the Holy Spirit to these men to have this power. Paul does this amazing thing in which he tells the whole entire crowd that it's their fault. In a nutshell, in these next few verses, they say, he says, hey, Jesus was real. You killed him. God raised him. Now say you're sorry. And it's not a sorry like, oh, I feel bad. But it is a sorry of going, I am turning from everything my life is to turn around to follow Christ. I even think in that very moment, he tells the whole entire crowd, this has been planned from the very foundation of earth. This isn't any different from right now. God's not surprised that you're here in the audience. God didn't go, oh, wow, look at who showed up. Maybe I should say the right things. Maybe I should get them right. No, he, he already knew you were here. You were already a part of what's going on in the resurrection story. I don't care if you've been going to church your whole entire life or if you've only been to church for the very first time today. The gospel story is for everyone. The resurrection is for everyone. The point is, is that it comes to going, do you know what the resurrection means for us? How can Peter have such boldness and say to people, hey, you need forgiveness of sins and you need to follow Jesus? Because I can imagine all these people in the audience going, yeah, faith in a dead guy, sure, you're crazy. I'm not following a dead guy. I remember we put him on the cross. The last few months for Peter have all been based on one One turning moment, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He can have faith because he understands that the resurrection is real. It's not fake. It's not a hoax. It's not something that was uh, covered up. It's not a huge way of getting a government to topple any of those things. No, it is the fact that the resurrection is real. And when the resurrection is real, then what do we do with it? And in that case, I need to answer that with you guys. And so we're going to flip a couple uh, books forward in the New Testament. And it's going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm not going to get into huge detail to you guys about the scientific proof or how the resurrection is real. If you want a really good book on that to study, to look at, one of the best books that I've ever uh, read in terms of uh, the resurrection is The Case for Christ uh, by Lee Strobel. Go pick it up. It's a great read. Go listen to it on audiobook. It's a quick listen, just two times speed, and you'll be over in like six hours, Um, but uh, no... (laughs) I listen to all my books on two times speed. Maybe because I don't want to listen to it. I don't know. Um, But uh, go pick it up. It's a a great book. But let's read these uh, verses together. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 16. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus Christ Has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless, and we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if your hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvest of all who have, been, who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead have begun through another man. <coughs> Excuse me. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. (coughs) After that, the end will come. (coughs) (coughs) excuse me, good night. After that, the end will come and we will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Peter sums it all up. He's the suffering servant. He suffered and died for our place. He was the holy and righteous one. And he is the author of life. He has conquered death. But see, I want you to realize something this morning is this, is I think that we need to look into the perils of the resurrection not being true. So once again, if you're still taking notes with me, let's do this together. If the resurrection wasn't true, here's the deal. My preaching today and your time in this room today is a complete waste of time. It's useless. If the resurrection was not true, this is all right now useless. If the resurrection wasn't true, I am up here absolutely lying to you. And some of you are lying to other people if the resurrection isn't true. And if the resurrection isn't true, then faith is useless. And here's the big kicker for me, and we're still guilty of our sins. It's okay if my preaching is useless and that um, we are lying, but the whole entire point of our guilt of our sins. You can just look around the world today and know that this isn't right. The world is not right There are things that happen all around us. I watched a movie this weekend where one lady was uh, a part of 22,000 abortions. I just can't wrap my mind around that. There's forgiveness in that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, to me, is way strong. I... If I had enough time, I'd spend a little bit more time on that, but I don't. And the last thing is this. Is that if the resurrection is not true, then you have no hope. And we we are to be pitied among all men. People should look at us then and go, look at those crazy, silly people. Walking around thinking they have everything figured out. But the point is, is that the resurrection is true. We know in 1 Corinthians, where Jesus shows up to 500 people at one time, that these men who are walking around healing in Acts have experienced the resurrected king. And they walk out in boldness and say, Man, This is true. And so because of that, my preaching is not useless, and you have not wasted your time this morning. In fact, you can be encouraged and lifted up. I'm not lying to you. My faith has usefulness, and my guilt of sin has been covered through the blood of Jesus Christ, and I have hope. Men still may pity me, but I'm not pitied among all men. You see, this story started with a lame beggar in deep need of saving. He can't walk. He can't get life. He can't do things on his own. He needs somebody else to help him. And that help came through his healing. But I began to think about this a little bit more and think about the fact that we are much like this beggar. Sure, some of us have our own ability to do things, but we are still crippled by doubt, by fear, by our own shame, our own sin. We still know that we've been pulled over and everybody can look at our lives and go, man alive, you got problems. But Jesus Christ, I think, has the answer. I don't think, I know, but I don't want you to so just take my word for it. I, we've been doing uh, testimonies throughout our church body, and we have about uh, 12 to 15 of them that we've been showing, and we started with Marge Forum, and today I want to introduce you to uh, a friend of mine and his testimony about how God has uh, worked through his life, and it's just a snippet of his life to tell you the story about how God has brought him, and he understands that he's a beggar to life and so i'd like to introduce to you Brad Marlinay. As
1: long as i can remember my parents have been divorced. I don't remember any of the any of that sort of stuff going down. I just know that my dad lived in Scobie and i lived in Billings most of my childhood. I'd go to SCOBY in the summers. And um, that was just all I knew. I know that uh, my story with God probably began around that time. My mom was a pretty dedicated Christian. We would go to church every Sunday that I can remember uh, growing up with her. And when I was in SCOBY during the summers, there was no church involved. Uh, around the age of seven, um, custody switched and I li- started living in SCOBY full-time and would stay with my mother during the summers. And so my life with God pretty much stopped. Didn't I only went to church with uh, my grandma maybe once a month to just make her happy. She enjoyed going, and I enjoyed spending time with her. And that's where I got to do it. And then at the age of 11, my mother committed suicide. And uh, it was hard, it's still hard. Um, I was mad at God. I didn't understand why he would do something like that. I pretty much left it at that. I the time I was 13 I was drinking every weekend and probably by the time I was 15 I even trickled into the into the week I would drink on school nights and come to school hungover and I don't know growing up in SCOBY, it just seemed like the normal thing to do um, And by 16, I started uh, getting into some drugs and just anything that it would take to try to fill that hole. I think uh, when I was 17, I met my now wife, uh, Jory Marlene. And she started dragging me to church again. And I, once again, was just going to make her happy. Um, I just kind of zoned out while I was here. It wasn't really my thing. She went to college, and I stayed home, and um, was unfaithful, and continued with the drugs and alcohol, and whatever got me by was able to keep that a secret for a number of years and until God finally was pushing on me enough I I finally was able to uh, come forward and she was obviously a little upset but immediately forgiving and that was the first time that I felt the undeserved forgiveness that God offers us. Um, It was hard to come forward, but it was, you know, they always say, it's like a backpack full of bricks, and you just take it off and that is pretty much what happened. I know that that's not not human nature. I knew that God had to be involved in that forgiveness. I've had multiple people tell me that they can visually see a change in me. Something happened, I feel it inside of me.
0: Not so much different than a lot of us in this room. Not so much different than this beggar who is carrying around a whole backpack full of bricks going, what do I do with this? And so Peter has the answer for us. He says this to them. He says, hey, would you repent, would you see the power of Christ in you? And would you walk in newness of life by taking on the things that I am asking you to walk with? And that's exactly what this beggar does is as soon as he realizes what's going on, he's jumping, he has joy, and he's trying to tell everybody around him, this is what's changed about me. And so I stole this from Charles Swindoll. And so here's just a couple little notes that you can fill in is this, is that your impossibilities in your life, whatever it might be, your point of crippling is God's opportunity. So would you turn to him? Because God's mercy is your opportunity. So please, would you return to him? And it's all because the truth of the resurrection. And it's because Jesus said who he truly was. So I'm going to ask the, uh, the worship band to come up, and we're going to close our, our time together. I want to leave it with this. I, I came across um, a quote by uh, Marshall Siegel, and he says this. It says, if we are truly following Jesus, we're not chasing miracles. We're not chasing spectacles like the crowd. But we're bowing our hearts and our knees in reverent awe. It doesn't mean that we're trying to avoid the cost of following Jesus. But we're rejoicing in the things that were going on around us. That we know that whatever affliction we might be having is simply temporary for an eternal time. With God. And so, as we close with this last song, would you do the work in your heart that you might need to this morning? By asking the question Do you know the power of the resurrection? Do you believe in the power of resurrection? Where have you been crippled in your life? And at what point will we lay it down and go, this isn't natural. It can't come from any human part of us. We can't drop it down fast enough. It has to be from God. God changes our hearts to offer forgiveness, to receive forgiveness. And that's the power of the cross.
2: I want to thank all of you for Coming on this fine Easter. I want to thank the worship band for playing, the volunteers for helping with Children's Church, and the, the sound back there. And then uh, also, thank you, Brad. Him and I have a rather similar uh, testimony with, with a mother passing away at a young age and a wife Whew, showing forgiveness. Without the resurrection, if Christ isn't alive today, you're not forgiven. Your sins are still standing there. And some of us may not feel like like we've lived a super sinful life. We may actually feel like we're rather good people. Some of us may feel like we are super sinful people, and two days a year is enough to come to church. All of us, all of us have to hear that we are forgiven. You, you are forgiven. And there's, there's power in that resurrection to cover all of it. We're just a dead branch without it. We're just sitting there laying on the ground. And this morning at the sunrise service, it's, It's beautiful to see the sun coming up and people gathered and and this bonfire sitting there and I was just thinking on the ride back how we're so much like the wood. But God breathes his spirit into us and that spark, that spark when we understand that we're forgiven lights a fire for the rest of our life. And never again do we have to be a dead piece of wood but the rest of the time we're just on fire for God. And so there's two people here, two different types of people, those that know that they're forgiven and those that don't. If you know you're forgiven, share it with someone that doesn't. If if you're still trying to gain understanding or maybe you've gained new understanding this morning, please come up front. Seth and I will pray with you. We'll talk with you. But every single one of you know that you we're here this morning for a purpose. Whether you were drugged here, whether you ran here, whether you got here late or you got hit a deer on the way or kids were throwing up on you along the way, you're here on purpose. Let's pray. Lord, reach into our souls. Sometimes it takes a lifetime to understand truly what we need forgiveness from. Lord, what is this life if we don't understand your forgiveness? What is a Christian walk without truly understanding what you died for and who you live for? Lord, I pray today whether we've we've never come to know you or we've known you our entire life, that we have gained new understanding, that you've spoken to us individually, and Lord, that we were ready to hear. We love you. We love you. We love you. We leave all of our requests. We leave our life at the most level playing field there is, the foot of the cross, and all God's people said, amen. Happy
0: Easter. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.